Thinking aloud. Conversations on the leading edge of knowledge and discovery with psychologist Jeffrey Mishlove. Hello and welcome. I'm Jeffrey Mishlove. Today we're going to look at a movement I'm calling anti-mysticism. My guest, once again, is James Tunney, artist, poet, scholar, and barrister. He is the author of The Mystical Accord, Sutras to Suit Our Times, Lines for Spiritual Evolution. He's also written two dis- Topian Novels, Blue Lies September, and Ireland, I Don't Know Who She Is. He's uh, lectured on legal matters all over the world as a uh, senior lecturer in law. Welcome, James. Thank you very much again, Jeffrey. Appreciate you having me. It's always a pleasure to be with you, truly. Thank you. And I uh, hope that you are able to come back to Albuquerque many more times in the future. I really look forward. It's a fantastic place. Thank you. Thank you. So, anti-mysticism, as a parapsychologist, uh, I'm aware of the anti-mystical movement because many people uh, equate parapsychology with mysticism, rightly or wrongly. Uh, many parapsychologists take offense at that. They don't wish to be associated with uh all kinds of uh, mysticism, but usually the complaint is something like uh, you're promoting the rising tide of superstition. Uh, yes, uh, and I, I I understand and I have total respect for parapsychologists who work within a very strict, uh, so as, as, as they all do in relation to scientific methodology and have to prove themselves and publish in, in the standard uh, scientific journals, they have to play by their rules. So I under I understand their need to protect themselves and to adhere to the strictures of the discipline. I I don't believe that we can ignore those. That they they we have to deal with them as we find them. So I don't have any problem with uh, parapsychologists being hyper scientific to protect the integrity of the subject as it's growing. Um, but the, the the real criticism comes from uh, people like Ayan Rand. Now, I, I've, I remember reading her years ago and uh, the mysticism, uh, when I read what she wrote about mysticism, it obviously registered subconsciously in some way, but it didn't register uh, on the level that it did when I l- revisited it. Perhaps for the benefit of viewers who aren't familiar with Ayn Rand, let, let summarize a bit of uh, when she lived and who she was. Well, uh, the main things for me is uh, she was an immigrant. Uh, she came from uh, Russia, and the, the main th- philosophy she, she sought. She was very philosophically orientated, so she sought to develop a unique philosophy focusing on the idea of knowledge. But the focus of that uh, philosophy was uh, objectivism, and for her, it was very important. And in view of her uh, view of history to focus on things which were provable, which were observable, which were empirical, on facts, and to avoid anything which couldn't be demonstrated, and to focus on self-interest as the driving force, the driving motivation for social development. So, in in many ways, her her philosophy was very in tune with the, the 
capitalist intent in the United States. So she has been, she's often celebrated by people who are successful in business. And we can see in our various novels, the, the Fountainhead and the, uh, uh, the other ones. Atlas Shrugged. Atlas Shrugged. Yes. Uh, we can see this belief that the people who create things should be rewarded and not impeded. Now, I agree with, the, I agree with a lot of those points in relation to not having an overpowerful state. Uh, uh, so there's, there's a lot of uh, things I would agree with her on. I agree with the necessity for individuals to function in the material world, to be successful, to pay attention to their finances, to pay attention to all their basic needs on Maslow's pyramid, to ensure as far as possible that they adequately anticipate their shelter needs and, and the needs for the future and for retirement and health, etc. I agree with all that. And I, and I agree with the emphasis on creativity and the need that every society has to produce new things. But when, then she, when she talked about mysticism, she saw as she, she, she created a very wide definition which seemed to include all religion. So anything which was not that objective, sci uh, scientific, well, particularly objective in that sense, uh, should be disregarded and would therefore... I suppose, disregard, as far as I could tell, a lot of subjective experience which we did not associate with self-interest. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, so, so that's, that's the core kind of philosophical base for the discussion. But the key thing was a wide definition of mysticism, which would actually include all religions, mm -hmm. as far as I, I Now, I never studied her in depth, but my sense is that one of her main points is, is that large mass movements uh, tend to... Uh, in, discourage individual creativity. It's as, as if the ignorant masses are trying to pull down the creative efforts of the brilliant few. Well, I'm not criticizing her for her focus on the individual because yeah. it's the same. I, I, I celebrate that focus on the individual. I have no problem with that. that that's a, I share that. Yeah. Uh, the, the facilitation of the individual has to be the basis, in my view. But uh, she, she ignores some points in that. Mm -hmm. I'll give you one example. If you want to become a very successful inventor, you have come up with a new teleportation machine. You have invented it. You are that individual. You are concentrating on your self-interest. You, you get this invention. Uh, in order to exploit it commercially, you're going to have to get a patent. The patent gives you a monopoly for 20 years. But the point is, a lot of these people she's talking about are getting support from the state system in order to gain their wealth. They won't be able to gain the wealth to continue the cycle of growth without some infrastructure. So she te she seems to ignore. I agree there should be a minimal amount of r rules and as far as possible to facilitate uh, interaction, but that doesn't mean you abolish everything altogether. And in, in a, there's a strange. There's a strange irony, I think, in that in, in uh, one of the novels, she has the, the characters disappearing and moving away and going into the wilderness, which kind of reflects what mystics do. Maybe when they go into the wilderness long enough, they'll turn mystical. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But there's a bit of an irony about that. And there's a bit of an irony about the failure to see that, uh, as, as, as Newton said, that uh, he was, as far as I remember, was Newton or no? Uh, yeah, that he was on on the shoulders of giants. That they get the benefit from all the infrastructure, which is mm -hmm. uh, which slowly grows up like a coral reef. Over yeah. so she dismisses that. 
Well, I gather she dismisses mysticism and all religion because of its lack of consistency with her philosophy of objectivism. Yes. And in that sense, you have to ask, if you approach it from a, a pragmatic perspective, you'd say, well, what is, what are the consequences of this view? If you say, well, take this view, what are the consequences? Now, for me, uh, this, her view perfectly suits the ambition of science. It's, it, it, it's, it's, it's a, uh, the other side of the coin in many ways mm-hmm. of the scientism that I would, uh, argue against if it's taken in a, in a very narrow form. Yeah. So it, it could be that her objectivism is exactly what, uh, a person from a very scientific managerial perspective might emphasize. We, you know, we had an interesting conversation last night with, with my nephew, a, yes, a yeah, scientist yeah, yeah. at Los Alamos. And yeah. what he suggested is that actually scientists claim very often not to be religious at all. They despise religion often, but they adhere to the religion of scientism. That is their religion. Yes. That, that, that's, that's uh, an important point. And it was a very well made point. And, and I was, I was delighted to hear that awareness from someone who works in very complex areas of molecular chemistry, etc. So, uh, th- that's correct. And, uh, the, you, you might argue that there, there's always going to be a God. We're just arguing about the nature of what mm-hmm. that God is. There's always going to be something that is, that we worship. And you say, we don't worship anything. We're rational. We're reasonable. But, we worship money or we worship power or we worship control or we work. So there is something, some driving goal which supersedes, which people aim for. So, uh, it, it, yeah, the, the, I don't think that they're going to be able to substitute and have nothing in its place. The, the, the evidence from history is that there's always something above the person mm-hmm. which, which is, which is put there, whether it be an ideology or something else. So it's not going to be a vacuum. Yeah. In the uh, 18th century, we had in uh, Western Europe, this notion of the enlightenment mm. in the 18th, I think in the 19th century too, the, the idea that uh, rationality was going to uh, be the supreme human faculty, and if we could just live our lives rationally, uh, everything uh, w- would be uh, in accordance with uh, justice. Yeah, and uh, it didn't turn out so well. Well, that was about the time they were chopping all the heads off of people and using the rational guillotine to uh, end opposition to the the new order, and when that a temple of reason in Paris. Where, where they were going to worship reason. So, uh, yes, and, and, and the problem that I have is about the nature of reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, reason is a tool. It's, it's an instrument to gain something else. And this is, uh, this is an important point in relation to the, the nature of knowledge or the nature of objectives. So, if the scientocracy is to happen in the future, what world government, for example, would look like would be that the world government, whether it be a uh, artificially intelligent chief executive with notional input from some representative, some scientific elite, it, that party system will have objectives. So they will state the objective. And the, the, the artificial intelligence, which will surpass human uh, decision-making power, 
won't be constrained by any notions of morality because we know that science scientists have a philosophical problem with the notion of morality. So if the objective is to reduce human population, they will do so and they will do so very efficiently. But it mightn't be something that we would want to witness, God forbid. But that's, that, that's the danger that we have to realistically consider if we look at the consequence of being objective. Because an object, the idea of uh, being objective, you have an object to get somewhere else. You're going there for, it's not an end in itself. So there's not an end process we're getting to. And I, I would also remind people, again, uh, on both sides, in fascism and in communism, science was was there uh, and if we look at uh, Stalinism and that we, we have to think in terms of descriptions of scientific socialism and in fact scientists were very productive and very useful to Stalin and helped the, and had in fact great accomplishments mm -hmm. uh, uh, and great contributions they could still function no problem under uh, a tyrannous murderous regime so uh, and then we are we have the horrendous the horrendous examples of the scientists in the Nazis regime. And we noticed that after the Second World War, the scientists in other countries, not least here, were very willing to take scientists who had been involved in, in, in crimes against humanity into their fold. And we know about the operation which took a lot of, of uh, Nazi scientists. Over operation to Paperclip. Paperclip, yeah. Yes. And uh, we know that Werner von Braun was behind NASA, and uh, various other mm -hmm. things. So, uh, and also the the, the exploration and, uh, and the anticipation of the the moon landings, helping with Walt, helping Walt Disney, for example. Uh, so, uh, wait, 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 what what do you suggest? The moon landing helping Walt Disney? Uh, Walt before the moon landing, yeah. Walt Disney and NASA worked on a, a video explaining what was going to happen. I'm not suggesting the moon landing didn't happen. I I'm, just want to be uh, yeah, yeah, clear yeah, about yeah. that. No, yeah. but but what I'm saying, they went from. They went, they were transformed. They went through, through some magic door. Mm -hmm. We could, they could excuse their morality, uh, and they could excuse the things. And also, the experiment, the medical, ex the horrific me medical experiments that were done in Auschwitz and places like that. Yeah. They've, they've utilized, they've taken the information. You can say, well, that's just pragmatic, but, you know, the fruits of a poet. So See, but now the critics of mysticism would say the whole Nazi regime is an example of what happens when superstitious ideas take over a culture. You're saying it's not that simple. No. And also, it ignores the role that scientific theory had in the evolution of these movements. Mm -hmm. That uh, if you look even at the theory of evolution, it was in a milieu of uh, looking at race superiority. So they've, they've, very uh, happily cut out uh, ideas that were lurking around of eugenics and uh, a race from the, they've stripped the bad bits mm -hmm. that they had in. And even if you look in the, in the early tw uh, 20th century when the, the British Medical Society moved to its new headquarters near Russell Square, uh, they took over the buildings of the Theosophy, Theosophical Society. And the for, as far as I, I remember reading in the early agendas of the, 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 the general council or whatever it is, they were discussing issues such as eugenics and all that in a way that we, they wouldn't be proud of today. So let's, let's not ignore the, the, ignore the contributions of science to these things. And when we talk about mysticism, define what we're talking about. Uh, and 
I've, I've, I think when I, as well, I'm trying to distinguish between an idea of a group and an idea of an individual. Yeah. If I'm constantly arguing about it being an individual self de development with respect for others, it can't come in the general, general de definition that uh, Ayn Rand or someone else. Mm -hmm. Well, I think there's no doubt that uh, amongst the anti-mystical uh, camps, uh, the scientific camp, the camp of rational thinkers are are, are very dominant. Yes, yeah, and yeah. Uh, I mean the. Uh, Committee for the Scientific Investigation of the Claims of the Paranormal prides itself on okay. rationalism. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and so on. It was incidentally founded uh, uh, out of the uh, humanist movement, which, uh, as I recall, was an outgrowth of uh, people in the American Communist Party. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I forget the name of the philosopher. I'll post his book, yes, who was yeah. uh, one of those individuals. Yeah. Uh, but there are other anti-mystical camps. For yes. example, Freudy, Freudians, even though Freud himself had a strong interest in the paranormal and in parapsychology, at one point he said if he could do it all over again, he'd want to study telepathy. But uh, at the same time, the classical Freudian notion of mysticism was that it was not an evolved state at all. It was what they called a regression to a oceanic oneness of the infant. Yes, yeah. And also, he did write that uh, essay on the uncanny, on un unhemlish, or the, the, that essay on the uncanny, where he's thinking about what the the, the idea of uncanniness and what's what's strange, which is kind of relevant again in the context of sex dolls and all that and that point the uncanny valley as they call it which is a is a point where it looks like a human's not quite there and it makes people uncomfortable mm -hmm. but that's another but in relation to uh in relation to freud when you look at freud for example one one thing that freud and jung shared in common this is an odd thing but when i was looking at rome they were both very afraid to go to rome they had a, they had a phobia huh? of going to Rome. <laughs> it's it's quite interesting though. When I was looking at hmm. it, was an odd thing that came up. So uh, Sigmund Freud wasn't always practicing what what he preached, and my sympathies would be certainly towards the Jungian perspective mm -hmm. uh, in, in that. I, I don't think much more open to the mystical, open to the mystical, able to see, for example, that. Uh, animan, animus, uh, feminine, uh, uh, masculine in everybody, uh, that uh, different, um, and that's another point that the, uh, in relation to the history of mysticism, mysticism uh, women have played a profound role. So despite exclusion in other contexts, they've often led the way uh, in the context of mysticism mm -hmm. and probably been persecuted as well, as were the male mystics, but it's an interesting... Well, and amongst male mystics, you often had uh, amongst shamans, um, amongst mystics like Ramakrishna in, in India, uh, cross-dressers, uh, men who had very feminine characteristics. Yes, uh, and there was always the esoteric and uh, spiritual idea that the uh, the spirit didn't have the sex characteristics or had yeah. two had two characteristics. I, uh, I think, as far as I remember reading in relation to the Native Americans, when they were talking about uh, homosexual people, they were they they believed they had two spirits, not mm -hmm. one. So 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 it's a more complex notion. Yeah. Uh, but certainly they they they, they have 
uh, history of openness towards the masculine and the feminine because they see it as a, a kind of yin yang process, the same as a, as they would see nature. They, yes, when one gets in touch with oneself, one's essence as the ground of all being, equal to the ground of all being of the whole universe, as the Vedantists would say, Brahman yes. equals yeah. Atman, yeah. then the, the whole idea of having uh, prejudices with regard to gender roles sorts of falls away. Well, if we come to a conclusion and manage some way to as if there was some kind of big central beam of light to both of us, which was our pure consciousness. Yeah. Um, if we just saw that pure consciousness, it couldn't have any real identity, except I think that I believe that the idea and, and associated with a Christian idea is that the proper accord of the heart would in some way imprint on the, on the, on, on the spirit or is mm -hmm. meant to. And, and that determines its nature in some sense. So that it, 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 but, but the point being, of course, the pure consciousness couldn't be a particular thing. Then it wouldn't have a name. It's beyond time. It's beyond time and space in some ways, but it's certainly beyond, uh, birth certificates. And that, that's for a different dimension for the material world mm -hmm. and for those necessary uh, functions. So there's a sense in which uh, any uh, group of people, organization that is based on some attachment to some aspect of identity, and, and that being uh, primary over and above any other consideration, yeah. uh, are going to be at that level anti-mystical. Uh, they could be. They could be if they took a very simplified approach, but uh, I would hope that people who can engage in complex cosmopolitan thought would be able to identify the subtleties and nuances in such arguments mm -hmm. and realize that uh, it was uh, n not meant to reduce in any way or disrespect any particular identities that people mm -hmm. want to identify. But if you look at Martin Luther King, for example, he was very, very clear about uh, not wanting to transcend the superficial differences to recognize, to recognize the pre-existing consciousness and spirit in the individual. And another example is Frederick Douglass, who, of course, uh, went to Ireland. He was uh, a, a slave of, uh, in the United States. He went to Ireland. He said it was the first place he was treated as, as an equal uh, in, in his life. And the irony of, uh, for him, was that the conditions of the peasants in the west of Ireland were worse than anything he'd ever seen under slavery or in any other context. And it opened his eyes. But he was, in, he was invited there by Daniel O'Connell as well, who shared the same view about the individual and, mm -hmm. and protecting the individual irrespective of any identification. So I suppose in a Buddhist way, the, the Buddhists would say that you can become attached to an identification and it becomes an distract, a distraction. Again, yeah. with total respect to anyone, anyone's ability to identify what they want to identify as, mm -hmm. up to them. So there are a range of anti-mystical movements. Uh, we talked in a previous interview about the dark side of mysticism, and mm -hmm. I think some people are against all mysticism because they see they see these dark examples, gurus who have a sort of cult-like negative influence over their followers. Jonestown, where I was just thinking people today. committed mass suicide at the direction mm -hmm. of a guru. Uh, Sometimes people look at various mystical traditions, and that's what they see. 
My argument would be, so, so I, I was just reflecting on Jim Jones and the Guyana tragedy, and I suppose there's that film at the moment, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and there's a reference to Charles Manson and all mm-hmm. that kind of yes. scenario. So, uh, yeah, the, 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 there's this idea of a, a figure uh, led by uh, a, a cult figure, Although it may have been overblown in the Manson case, which is another story, but say take Jim Jones as a better example in relation to someone who leads to, to obviously and directly to mass suicide. The uh, I, I have always stressed, and I always will stress, that the individual is responsible for their actions. Responsibility is important. So the individual has to protect themselves. The individual cannot relinquish their, their, their controls to somebody else, to, to, to some group. They can't, they're responsible for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, uh, another point might be that if one is responsible, if one is aware of one's own unique body, mind, uh, soul, spirit, it should make it harder to give that away to someone else who is going to give you the pat, especially if they're operating on your fear, if they're, if they're, if they're, because if a person goes on a spiritual path, they will become more secure, not less secure. Mm-hmm. If they, it's the same as if one in, engages in the martial arts, they will become more relaxed about their ability to defend themselves, not, not less. And they will, they can ignore those issues. So, uh, those dangers are there. Uh, the cult things we all have to be very, very careful about. We, but then, that the, the the cult is more representative of people who haven't been developing, who have been uh, uh, weakened or vulnerable, and vulnerable in particular, and are therefore open to being manipulated in that sense. Yeah. Well, <laughs> there's so many paradoxes associated with these things because sometimes the, the 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 very people who are promoting the individual, like Ayn Rand, are also uh, the ones who are anti-mystical. Yes, and she. What I, I couldn't understand about her her idea was that if you're saying, okay, we're going for individual liberty, well, why would she criticize? the liberty of people to practice their religion. It doesn't make sense. So it seemed to be a very narrow, a very uh, narrow sense of, of liberty and a very narrow materialist sense. And I'm saying, well, okay, well, and I've met some people who are very dogmatic Ayan Ran supporters, and they think that what she has written was the best things ever written, and they would certainly put a far above uh, spiritual text. But I'm looking at uh, Ayan Ran's books, and I'm saying, well, what kind of a person... Uh, does this produce? And the the composite I come up with was someone that uh, is like Ebenezer Scrooge <laughs> uh, and maybe King Midas, because when they get all their material wealth, they won't be able to enjoy anything else about because they've sacrificed all the, all the other values. And also, perhaps Mr. Gradgrind from Hard Times, who said it's facts, everything in the education system, everything is about facts, 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 facts. Yes, but... There's other things. It's like the 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 the, the sutras uh, that is uh, you know it's a a thread or a something that sews together, something knit together, or like a necklace with mm-hmm. with uh, things on it. But uh, so, so that um, yeah, I, I think I, I think that's 
the analogy uh, could be made. Really, before we conclude our discussion about anti-mysticism, we need to talk about the not just Freud, but the profession of psychiatry, the tendency uh, there is in the whole mental health system where if somebody begins reporting mystical experiences, they get identified as psychotic. Well, it was interesting because uh, I, I, I remember... Uh, Wilson von Dusen. Yes. That was very interesting. Uh, I knew Wilson von yeah, Dusen. I know, uh, name drop. <laughs> I know, I know. No, no, I, uh, I, I, uh, I was thinking about that because this is very relevant uh, yeah. in, in the context. And I, I was listening to a, a very moving documentary about an Irish traditional musician, a great uh, musical tradition called Liam Clancy. I don't know if you heard of them. So the Clancy brothers were very, very famous. They uh, came from the countryside over to America and took it by storm. Uh, they were, they had, uh, significant, uh, patrons, which is another interesting, uh, story. So they came with traditional music and they were genuine, skilled, traditional music, singing traditional songs. Uh, and they, they became famous. So they played in New York and Bob Dylan, uh, or as, uh, Bob Zimmerman, as, as Liam Clancy mm-hmm. used to say, used to come into the, uh, the pub. I don't know, it was a white horse or something in New York, and listened to the music. And in fact, Bob Dylan said that he got the sense of rebellion, rebellious, rebelliousness in his music from listening to the Clancy's mm-hmm. in the thing. And you can see, and he took some old Irish ballads as well as music, that, that kind mm-hmm. of feisty thing. Uh, so, but, uh, so, uh, Liam Clancy had some problems, uh, maybe with drinking or whatever, and he describes an, he described an experience where he knew he had a problem. Um, and he ended up going to a psychiatric uh, hospital and a famous psychiatrist in, in Ireland, uh, Professor Ivor Brown, as far as I remember. There are a few good, famous, well-known, respected psychiatrists, like Professor Anthony Clare is a man I had great respect for, I interviewed before, who's, who's dead now, but he was a fantastic man. But Liam Clancy said he was, he was going to, the, to a famous Irish pub uh, called O'Donoghue's, where bands like the Dubliners uh, uh, used to sing. Have you ever met them? No. Well, I used to. Do it. <laughs> I drank with them till seven o'clock in the morning. So they, anyway. <laughs> so, they, so anyway, he was going to the pub, and then he had an out of body experience whereby he felt himself dissociating from mm. from. And uh, so it was clearly a, a medical thing that needed attention. But then I'm listening to some of the other descriptions where people are saying, "Well, actually." This is a phenomenon of higher order spiritual mm. things. And you see that it, it becomes complex. And uh, certainly there's plenty of evidence that people... We'll take the example of Vincent van Gogh. So Vincent van Gogh, people forget, was a priest early on who worked in the mining communities. So he was very into religion. And then he goes through various, uh, various evolutions and he, he becomes a painter. He was a proper... Mystic who was informed by, uh, before. Yes, he- his, his artwork expresses a, a sense of seeing, uh, scintillating energy wherever he looks. Yes. So, uh, although people f- focus on the tragedy and, and, uh, on whatever happened and, uh, sh- it's not the full story and, and it's not represented and we don't know what medical problems he have had that may have been unbearable. We can look at all the letters to Theo and, uh, and whatever. His brother Theo his brother supported Theo and, him. And a, mass, uh, yeah. and a mass amount of, of uh, information. 
but uh, he, he, he was a mystic on a mystical journey who provided a gift to humanity. And it seemed that the provision of that gift that was not obvious to other people in his life, as manifested by the fact that he sold two paintings in his life, whatever. Uh, Today there's a museum in his honor in Amsterdam. And his, his paintings have sold for huge, ridiculous amounts of money, but the, uh, but he, he still has a profound mm-hmm. effect on people. So he was painting from the position of someone who was alienated from society, who, who, who couldn't maintain relationships with people around him, who fell out when he tried to set up an artist colony in the Yellow House in the south of France. He couldn't do it. Uh, whose relationships broke down. He, uh, he was unsuccessful in, in those senses. But it didn't take away from his pursuit of the core goal. And he wasn't unaware of that. And he knew in the future that people would see that. And he kept on doing that. Not for himself, obviously. He wasn't getting any benefit. Maybe he would have, have prospered with, with financial support or, or, or recognition from the people around him. Maybe he would never have progressed in his paintings to the higher level that he did do, to the sunflower phase, etc. Well, there is a sense, uh, and we've discussed it previously, where great mystics often transcend all cultural norms. And so uh, people who are attached to those norms are, are going to have problems with them. Yes, yes, that, that, that's correct. So at a certain point, well, obviously, if he's putting himself in that position, he has rejected because he was, he also worked in selling art in London. He lived in London for a while. So, so he, he wasn't unfamiliar with the, that world. He obviously saw it and he wasn't with someone like that who has that dedication, single minded focus, the same as Rasputin. They will get their goals. So the point is, if he had wanted to be a successful, and bourgeoisie, whatever, gallery owner. He would have done that if he really wanted. He didn't yeah. want that. So so that, that's an important no, point. These, often these people are going to put their whole life on the line. Yes. And it may cost them their life. Uh, it will cost them their life, but he, and of course, suicide is, is, is an ex, 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 exceptional case in the thing. It's It's not... A, a usual end for a, a mystical person, but that doesn't take away from the fact that he was on a spiritual path. I, I, I believe there was there was some other factor mm-hmm. in the thing. And we don't know. There's so I many know things. you've pointed out that mysticism is an antidote to existential despair. That, that's that's. But the, the the point is as well. I, I, I do. I, I, in he wouldn't have been able to get out of the bed in the morning if he didn't have that desire, that love of beauty. He got you. You mentioned, I didn't come back on this about joy. Uh, you talked about the Buddhists and, and pain and joy. The point is, pain and joy. Kothi, we, 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 if we didn't oh, have yeah. pain, we wouldn't have joy. If we didn't have joy, mm-hmm. we wouldn't have pain. So there is a, there is the yin yang there. And when the joy comes, we, we should, we should take it and enjoy it uh, with good humor. And humor is often another characteristic mm-hmm. associated with spiritual, yeah. uh, pa- uh, pa- but, the, the suffering is there in different, it's, it's, it's different paths for different people. Mm-hmm. We don't know that he wasn't bitten by an insect sometime that caused, we, we don't know what happened mm-hmm. to him, so we can speculate, but we won't know. Well, I guess in concluding, <laughs> I, I feel obliged to bring up the, maybe the great example of Western culture, Jesus Christ. Yes, yeah. I no doubt was a mystic. Well, well, well of course, I mean, the, the, not only was he, he, he a mystic, but he was demonstrating his powers. Now, you, we can say that that is 
uh, only from from God in that context. But it was God coming into human form. Maybe the point about the demonstration by certain uh, spiritual leaders is to demonstrate that the human spirit has far more potential than we believe we have. And by the argument that we should focus on the spirit, the argument is that we should develop spiritually and evolve, and that it will not be strange that people can heal people. That's what they say, the healers say, for example. Uh, By focusing on compassion, uh, non-violence, whatever. So, uh, yes, and that may be some of the point. So, it would be strange if we had a religion which said, okay, our founder was able to do all these mystical things. We have some of these powers, but we think it's unchristian to do those things. That that doesn't make sense to me. Mm. And in relation to the existential question of how humanity is going to survive, maybe the only solution to that is for people to develop their their extra powers. For Who knows in what circumstance where people have to combat some risk that we've never contemplated that it created as a result of the interaction of various forces that different people have unleashed without respect to the possibility of them coming together that it may be some some person who's five years old now who's fascinated in computers that is an expert in code somewhere along the line that can stop something happening it may be they may be our saviors in the future from their skills if their heart is in the right place James Tunney, <laughs> what a pleasure once again. Yeah. I, I, and I know uh, these conversations, I sometimes I hate to stop them because, yeah. because I know we could just keep going and going. And there's yeah. so much to talk about. Yes. Uh, uh, I'm so glad that you're here with me. Thank you so much for being with me. And, and uh, to conclude on that, and of course, we know that the, the greatest problems that the mystics may have found may find is from within in their own religions mm-hmm. uh, itself. But uh, I just want to say um, uh, thank you very much and to uh, express my appreciation for for another uh, interview and a series of interviews. Uh, and uh, as you pointed out when, when I came in, I'll be conscious of going back to Sweden and uh, my family and we'll be uh, looking forward to uh, to, to maintain in communication. So I, I, I really want to uh, thank you for, for, for that interview. Thank you. My pleasure, truly. And thank you for being with us.